0: Hey guys, we're back. Welcome to another edition of the Fitness Experiment Podcast. Jesse and I are here, ready to go with some injury and recovery topics.
1: What's up, yeah. Jesse? Hey man. I think uh, we're going to start with just some Instagram questions because it's kind of fun and it'll get the ball rolling a little bit for yeah, us. Because some nice quick ones. This was one of those topics where we're kind of we didn't really know where to start because it's there's so many different directions that this podcast and the conversation can go. So we're just going to start with some questions and see where that leads us. Um, let's start with a nice, easy one. When to stop or not push yourself in training. I added the in training part that wasn't part of the question. So I guess we should just say when to stop and not push yourself. Assuming that this is talking about, uh, you're doing some sort of activity, whether it be, uh, training, competing, walking, I don't know, sitting down, (laughs) standing up, you're doing something. Um, when, when should you stop and not push yourself? Um, I guess in, in the theory of not doing more damage, I guess is probably, I think that's a fair question. We were talking about this a little bit before we
0: started. It's a fair question, especially in the realm of CrossFit where, I would say a lot of the workouts tend to be quote unquote a little bit more painful than the average workout, right? Painful in a good way, just in that you're basically pushing your body to its peak and its ability to perform aerobically and so on. But it's fair because especially for people who I think don't have an extensive background in sports is what we were really talking about because if you never played sports, Throughout sports, you're always exposed to like an athletic therapist, there's a trainer on board. So if an injury or a potential injury comes up, you're constantly getting quizzed about how you feel, what hurts. They're giving you feedback on whether or not this is a potential injury. They're educated in that area. That's their specialty. That's what they do. So kind of over the years throughout having those experiences, you definitely learn a little bit how to differentiate between those symptoms. And so I guess if you, like I said, if you don't have a lot of experience in competitive sports, then I could totally see how this would be, Um,
1: you know, it might not be as clear to some people as it is to others for sure. Right. And if you don't have somebody that can fill that role of the athletic therapist or um, a doctor or a trainer on a sports team, then you need to find yourself another place to train because you're not in an environment that um, can really take your best interest in mind and be sure that you're successful long-term in whatever it is that you're doing. The person that asked this question, I'm sure would stem from her experience in the group class yesterday. I was coaching her through the class. Um, she comes up to me pretty early on in the class, just a little bit of a tweak in the back of the arm, which could be a number of different things, right? I think, I, I guess before I go any further, <laughs> I want to talk about like what that feeling could be and how difficult it can be um to relay how you're feeling to somebody else because there's so many different levels of pain tolerance and so many different levels of um feeling right like i may stub my toe and i feel like that's a 10 out of 10 pain somebody else may have the exact same experience and for them whether it be ego preventing them from just being honest and saying it's actually 10 out of 10 and it is a 10 out of 10. They might just say oh i'm fine it's like five out of ten but really they feel like their toes gonna fall off lots it's uh it's kind of like an rpe like a, a rate of perceived exertion thing but in the sense of pain tolerance um so that can be part of it right so if somebody comes up to me in a group class and i'm coaching or in a session and i'm coaching or they come up to me before they start training and they have a question like oh man this is kind of it's always a very vague description, right? It's like, ah, yeah, I want to kind of do this. It kind of feels off. Like it hurts. Mm -hmm. I don't really know how to explain it. It's hard for me to do anything with that information in the moment. Yeah. Because, um, what they're saying to me, to be honest, doesn't make any sense. And I I mean Mm -hmm. that in a nice way, like it does, it's hard. It it is really hard to convey how you're feeling to somebody else. So when this person came up to me yesterday, like, ah, like kind of the back, I'm like, kind of hurts. I'm like, well, what does it feel like? Uh, I don't know. It just kind of hurts when I do handstand push-ups. I don't really know what's going on. What that's telling me is it's it's not an injury, right? It's not something acute that's going to cause problems over time. So my advice to that person was just scale the rest of the workout. This is somebody who trains all the time too. So I know she's going to be back in today. She's going to be moving. She's going to be fine because she has that understanding you have to be careful in that conversation because I have the same thing with somebody else who's maybe is a little bit more timid or more inexperienced and doesn't really know how to deal with what they're, what they're feeling. If I say, Oh, well you better just rest that. I might not see them for a month because they're going to wait until that symptom is completely gone and not think about the fact that they have the rest of their body that can still move. And that little tiny tweak in the back of their arm or, I'm calling it a tweet because I don't really know what it is, but that feeling that they're getting in their back of their arm is going to prevent them from being active and healthy for a whole month. Yeah. So for this person, I can have a conversation, just scale the workout today. We'll mm-hmm. do this, this, this instead to take the, that arm just out of the equation and still move the rest of your body. She comes back the next day. Everything's fine. If I said that to somebody else, it might feel like I'm pushing them too hard. So it's it's very dependent on the person. Yeah, that's
0: a good point. Dependent on the person is key there. I think Mm -hmm. it is easy to, if you have an injury that could be very, say it's like an isolated injury. So like what you were talking about, just for an example, it's a tweak in the arm or something. It is easy, even though it's just an arm, it's easy to kind of step away and really go cold turkey for a little while.
1: And that's easy to to like,
0: yeah, that's, and like as coaches, I think that's another important job that we have is to prevent that. Like you just explained, express the importance of continuing to move, um, express or explain all the options, all the alternative options that exist for you know additional movements that aren't going to harm that injury at all, may even help it really in the long run. I would say because you're right. creating a lot of that turnover, improving blood flow, you're going to get delivery of nutrients, immune cells, and whatnot.
1: That's a huge point. What like yeah. you just said, right? Like continuing to move is going right. to increase yeah. your or decrease your recovery time. Yeah. I yeah. would I would put money on hundred percent of the time. Oh, absolutely. And just maintaining your mental state, I think is that's
0: that's probably the biggest thing there because it is it's very easy to get down on yourself because you're not able to perform at your fullest capability. So definitely continuing to move and really appreciating that you can actually still get better during that time. You can make yeah. big gains during that time. This is I think this holds especially true for Well, fitness as well. Yeah, like CrossFit, I think it holds true, but definitely maybe even more so for sports where you're usually forced to use like one hand or the other. So for instance, a basketball player who shoots with their right hand all of a sudden breaks the right wrist and then all of a sudden they're forced to practice for four or five months with their other hand. Well, guess what? After those four or five months, by working on that biggest weakness, all of a sudden they're ambidextrous. They're going to be able to use both hands and they just became a 10 times better basketball player. That's one sport, one example, but I think it's important to just kind of reframe your thinking a little and look at how you can actually use that injury
1: as um, you know, an opportunity to yeah, grow. Yeah, absolutely. To answer the question in, in a short much shorter version. Again, the question was when to stop, not push yourself. Um, if it hurts, don't do it. That's a very simple rule. Work in a pain-free range of motion. Um, there's lots of things that you can still do, just like Chet said. Use other hand. If you if uh, this person's arm injury ended up being a true injury, like some sort of chronic injury that has just now onset into pain, um, or an acute injury where there is a little bit of a muscle tear or something going on, a little bit further than just a little bit sore. Um, Work, continue to move that arm in a range of motion that causes zero pain. Keep working it. And then if it it is an arm injury, just come in and squat, squat a whole bunch, right? Work with your coaches, work with your professionals so that you can keep on training. I think that pretty much sums up that one. This next one's pretty similar to it. It says uh, when to train through an injury versus when to rest. If you are truly injured, you're not going to be able to train that particular body part. No, through the injury. Um, however, what we just talked about is you can still train throughout your recovery process, and it's going to help and speed up your recovery for sure. Absolutely, so yeah. say, um, for example, for myself, when I, um, I think it was just over a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a year ago. I think so, yeah. it is like, more like, than your time because you went now. to the same
0: competition like a month or two ago, didn't
1: you? Oh yeah, but it was earlier this year. So it was, oh. it was in Oct- October. Yeah, so just, wow. It feels like it's been <laughs> a while longer than that. Cool, okay, so um, in competition, um, fractured my elbow, snatching. So it was an avulsion fracture, which just my ligament pulled away from the bone and pulled off a little piece of bone from it. So um, not so much damage to the bone, ligaments detached and it's, it's still detached to this day. So if I was waiting for that to heal up, I still wouldn't be training just as like a a side point to that. When I was, the initial injury happens, I don't do anything with that arm because that's unwise, right? I need to go through the full process of um, getting images done, seeing physiotherapists, seeing doctors, seeing all the people that I need to see to make sure I'm getting the best advice possible. Talk to my coach, talk to Mm -hmm um other coaches at the gym and get advice and things like that from people that i trust i don't work that arm right so that this arm that is injured that arm is on rest until i can come up with a good solid rehab plan that i'm confident in and i trust but i didn't rest right you know, i was back the very following monday so i usually take Sunday sunday's rest day. anyways i was back training on monday because my the rest of my body right can still work so this question is kind of twofold. And I think it's a common thing that people you can't train through that injury. If there's an injury to a joint or something, you, you can't just keep moving it under load and, and just hope that it gets better it, while well, it still hurts, right. but you don't have to rest your entire body. Yeah, if that makes sense. Fair. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think if
0: People should, even if they didn't already go back and listen to our other podcast where we talk about some of the hormonal responses to training, mm-hmm. that would have a lot of relevance to this as well. Because some of those responses that we talked about would in the end speed up recovery. For sure. So that's that's really more more reasons why you should keep keep moving, keep training,
1: keep using your body. Yeah. So you can pretty much answer both the questions so far, which is keep moving. Yeah. You're more able than you're not able yeah. when you're injured. Um, trying to think of a case where you should actually just completely rest. And I would say head injuries would be concussion. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely for like the first, although
0: <laughs> even that's starting to become like very, um, very inconclusive. It's, Tell me about that. Yeah. So I guess quick recap, because maybe not everyone is aware of this again, if you haven't had a lot of experience in sports, But for the longest time after a head injury, after a concussion, people were told to basically just go home and hibernate really Mm -hmm. is what they were told. Go home and rest, rest for as long as you need to until you don't get any symptoms. So this was like complete inactivity, like, you know, bed at home, maybe walk around the house, but really just lay around, go back to bed, that type of thing. Recent years, we're now starting to realize that probably this, is absolutely not the case I, in hindsight now like just based on what i've learned in the last couple of years i'm not surprised that this is changing because if you think of when i think of all the things i've read about what exercise does to the brain that's what i'm saying i'm not mm-hmm. surprised whatsoever because it does some incredible things like stimulates neurogenesis growth of new brain cells stimulates blood flow all there's such a long list of things that it does for the brain so anyways now we're finding out that while immediate rest for sure is needed, like in say within like the first 24 hours after that injury, you would go home, get as much sleep as possible. Don't wake the individual up. This was another misbelief that persisted for a really long period of time. So people used to say, this person that you think, that you think has a head injury, wake them up throughout the night every couple of hours, check in on them, see how they're feeling. Mm This is definitely not the thing to do. We know that now the reason people said to do this was because if the individual has some type of hemorrhage, if they have some type of brain bleeding, then you could get, you have edema and swelling of the brain and you could actually die. But if you have that, you're going to know right away. Like it's not, if you take a, if you take a hit and you have some type of brain bleeding, you're going, you're going to know. So that's kind of a whole separate category in itself. But if we look at just concussion in sport, you've ruled out that there's no brain bleeding, which again, I think can be diagnosed pretty easily at the rink. There's, I mean, people who are qualified could do this quite easily. I pretty positive. The training's super
1: solid for trainers now too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So after this you would go home and just sleep like sleep is, we talk about this a lot it's necessary for repair and recovery of the brain. So you would sleep as long as you can unmedicated. That's another important thing. And then you would probably rest for like, say day one, but even day one, it looks like it's probably best to at the very least, like get up, get outside, get into the sunshine. That's another big thing. Get some sun exposure and just go for a walk, just go for a walk and really focus on your breathing. And then, cause the brain needs that. That stimulation not only from the natural environment so to regulate the circadian rhythm which will then stimulate all these other repair mechanisms but just like moving the body that's going to start this repair process up but there's been some this was out of i think it was the university of toronto like just in the past year or two they did a study where they took that they used varsity athletes actually at university of toronto so they had two groups pardon me one Big group, everyone experienced a concussion, and then they separated them into two groups. So one group of varsity athletes who experienced a concussion, they would return to exercise. It was under 48 hours. And then with these other groups, they basically extended their return to exercise. So they would go from like two days to three days to four days and so on and so forth. And they found that the ones that returned to exercise the earliest actually had the fastest recovery and the fastest return to play. And as you, yeah, it's wild. And if like, if you see this graph that they publish in the paper, it's like this perfect correlation where as the, the, as the amount of time before returning to exercise increases, so as you go from like two to three to four to five, the time that it takes to return to play and the time that it takes to fully recover just gets longer and longer and longer and longer. So it's like, it's crazy. Yeah. So there's obviously something there. And again, that's not saying that the absolute worst thing you could do is jump back into a game, especially when there's any type of contact, Mm. even if there's no, even if it's something like basketball or soccer, where there's no, there's not, Any type of hitting, obviously, but you're still rubbing up against people, bumping into one another. Mm -hmm. All these things can cause trauma. That's the absolute worst thing you can do. This is just movement on your own, like I said, starting with just walking pace. So I think we're going to find out in the next, hopefully in the next year or two, really what's going on there. But right now, it definitely seems like returning
1: to exercise sooner is going to be more beneficial. So it's for everything type of injury then it really is yeah yeah learn something new yeah that's it's so therapeutic yeah for everything and it's uh like you said it doesn't have to be back to the level of competition or to the level of training that you were doing pre-injury it just has to be movement that will help you return in this case you said return to play yeah um if somebody gets a concussion falling on ice and that could be returned to work right so oh yeah absolutely that that is a big lifestyle thing yeah for you um yeah and can help with your mental health as well yeah just with the psych- psychology of injury yeah. the faster yeah. you're able to get back to your normal routine the more oh, um, totally normal i'm doing the air quotes the more normal you're going to feel yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously there's a lot of other
0: variables that need to consider that need to be considered like. I'm
1: not saying like
0: regardless if you get a concussion, jump back up on your feet the next day and get out there, like there's other things we have to consider. Like if you deal a lot with technology, looking at a screen throughout your day, obviously something you would not want to jump right back into right away. But in terms of movement, I think we were designed to move and there's definitely
1: something to that crazy yeah so movement's gonna help with your recovery from all injuries yeah seems so that's cool i learned something new today (laughs) (laughs) let's go to the next uh so one is do you feel that injuries should only occur in competition and it should rarely happen in training i wish that we had this sort of control over when we got injured that would make life very simple if we could just choose pick and choose when um we get hurt and that's not a very fair answer to this question because I, I know where it's coming from but that's kind of what i think when i initially read it it's like oh yeah that'd be so nice uh, i don't i don't want to get injured today let's let's just push yeah. this off i got some stuff coming up i th- i know what he means it's like uh should you be should training be at a at a level where chance of injury is less the unfortunate part is injuries, not load or intensity dependent. No, that's, that's the tough part, right? Like you could, you could sneeze and blow your disc out in your back. Yeah, It's, 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 it's too. Yeah, that's right. If it was, it's time to go then it's happening,
0: you know, regardless.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, in a perfect world, you wouldn't get injured in either, maybe taking a little bit more risk in competition may expose you to greater injury. It's kind of like how many concussions would you see? And I don't know if there's a study on this. I'm just, raising a question, how many concussions would you see in a football practice relative to a a game? Like how many concussions in the NFL occur between like, um, Monday, if they're not playing on Monday, between like Monday and Saturday and how many occur on Sunday where the majority of the football games are happening. I'm not sure what that would look like. I'd I'd be curious to see if they've, if anyone's done anything on that from that perspective, it's, it's safe to assume that we would see less head injury in practice because the intensity is going to be a little bit less, but we can't say that it never happens. And um, I mean, you hear about top level athletes all the time getting injured in practice or um, out of sport activity, because that's just, that's life. You can can get hurt doing, doing anything. Yeah. I remember when,
0: remember Joe Sackick? Yeah captain of the Colorado avalanche. I used to love the abs. He, uh, well, he damn near cut his finger off with a snowblower (laughs) (laughs) towards the end of his career. Oh my God. Or maybe he was, was he already retired by then? I can't remember. But anyways, point is things happen. Yeah. Be safe kids.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Just do your best to uh, prevent injury. I mean, let's dive into this from like, from like a, a, a training perspective. When you're training, you should ideally be training in a pain-free environment. You shouldn't be forcing yourself to do anything that is causing you pain. Um, So, for example, you make changes day-to-day based on how you're feeling. Like if you have some sort of chronic issue with your back, and maybe back squats cause you a little bit of pain because typically when you back squat, your torso angle is going to be a little bit more forward compared to a front squat. Right. So that shearing force on your spine is causing you discomfort in any way. Yeah. Maybe that day just switch to front squats. You'll most likely find once you switch that torso angle and there's less shearing force on the spine that that discomfort will likely go away. Yeah. I had that for a long time. With back squats? Well, so when I like,
0: I guess this was like two, three years ago when I herniated the disc, I, it was the same way. Like I basically, not that I was back squatting a lot of that time anyways, which was bizarre. I don't know. As a hockey player, I never really back squatted all that much, mm-hmm. but that's what I found that this was at L4, L5. Whenever I would back squat, I had some discomfort, but as soon as I switched to a front squat, that was essentially gone. So, I mean, that's all I did for several years.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's better to do that than to stop training. Oh yeah, right. And I think that kind so of goes too. back yeah. to our very first question too, right? When to stop yeah. and when when to. And continue. it's not like like you're not going to be going for PR, no. or ten rep
0: max or anything like that, right? Yeah, just be smart with your yeah. with your ranges and everything yeah. else. Yeah, I think that's a key point too. Is when you're injured, you have to leave your ego at the door, mm-hmm. which is very difficult to do at the best of times, but. I don't know. That's really, that's the simplest way of putting it, I think, is leave the ego at the door. Realize that you're focusing on rehabilitation. That's your goal. And now is not the time to be, to be pushing it.
1: Yeah. And then when you come back to say back squats, don't try a five by five at like 90% of your max the first day back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of be smarter. There's always something that you you can do and it just comes from uh, altering your training to be as pain-free as possible. I think that Is something that's often um, kind of dismissed and seen as being a little bit soft when you're, you know, changing your programming around a little bit because of whatever reason. For me, from somebody who programs for a bunch of people and people say, ah, this was kind of sore, so I did this instead, that is amazing. For two reasons, one, because this person has clearly developed an understanding around movement Mm -hmm. and they, to me, it makes me happy that they know what to get a similar, they look at their program and like, I know how to get a similar dose response for this, or I kind of feel what he's going for here. And if I do this instead, I'm still getting a bit of that, but I'm not in pain. Perfect. Do that. I'd rather that than be like, I have back squats, we'll stick with back squats, back squats programmed. And somebody's like, oh, I did one set with a, at like 50% for five and it hurts. So I just shut it down for the rest of the day. I'm like, come on right like i there's so many other things that that person could be doing to move themselves selves in a in a direction of progress instead of just quitting yeah that would be the difference between training and competition in this sport this person does is uh c- competing in crossfit right now so for him his sport is uh is crossfit and in competition you don't really have uh control just like any yeah. other competition you don't really have control of what goes on so. i suppose
0: another difference could be training versus competition in training a lot of the time you have a coach whether that coach is there physically or more so online right programming you options there's still constant feedback between you two you're still being told you know what to do basically in competition Mm -hmm. that goes away so it's probably so if you your coach could in a way control your ego during training kind of hold you back prevent you from pushing it too far which would further worsen that injury cause injury and competition that's gone and it's just you
1: and your head and Mm -hmm. it's a little bit different it's kind of like for crossfit oftentimes people can get injuries to their hands like i i call rips an injury when you rip your hand that's an injury to your hand right because it's going to be i mean it's an injury to the flesh on your hand so it's it's typically open and bleeding and gross and sensitivity for the rest of the training week. So going to the point where you're ripping your hands. And again, you a lot of times you cannot control these things. It's that you don't pick and choose when you're going to get injured, how things are going to go whether or not you're going to rip but if you're feeling something like this happen, that would be a situation where we need to modify the training, right? If there's Mm -hmm. high volume chest bar pull ups in a butterfly pattern. In your workout, you get halfway through whatever work you're supposed to get done and you're starting to get bubbly blood blisters, just shut it down because it's going to affect the whole week of training for you. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. That'd be an example that I see fairly often where people and myself too, I'm guilty of pushing through that. And then I regret it for the rest of the week because it, you immediately regret it when you jump in the shower afterwards. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's a dumb thing to do. Yeah. Injuries are not preventable. We can train the body. To be more resilient and then in theory potentially decrease your chances of injury, but we can't completely bulletproof you to the point where you're just not going to get injured. That's completely right. false. If anyone is telling you that, then they're just lying to you, unfortunately. Yeah. You can do the best you can. Last question. Then we can get on to some other stuff. Oh, yeah, we're still on the
0: questions. Yeah.
1: I'd say we're rolling. Yeah. Uh, surgery it at all costs. If you can work through the issues. Oh boy. I'm not, that's a doozy. Yeah. I'm not going to say yes or no. I'm not touching that one with a hundred foot pole. I'm not but, a doctor. I don't know, wanna...
0: <laughs> but we can speculate, I guess. Yeah.
1: What we can do is for me, I would recommend just a cost benefit. Like just write it out. Yeah. Neighbor, that's fair. Yeah. Benefits of getting the surgery done I... costs of getting yeah. the surgery done. Yeah.
0: I suppose I could speak from experience like a wee bit on this one. Sure, go for it. This is, so back to the back injury, this would be, I think this is a fair argument when it comes to the back in particular. So just to give you a quick little visual here, I had a little bit of a herniated disc, L4, L5. So you can imagine that as, so your discs are in between all of your vertebrae. These discs slowly, slowly shrink as you age. That's why you become shorter. Um, these discs basically have jelly inside of them. So just picture literally like, um, a Boston cream donut. So the cream just slowly seeps out as you age. So that's what I mean by the disc shrink and you become shorter. But if you constantly place a lot of stress on these discs, so by doing things like, well, deadlifts with poor form would be the best example. For me, I think it was just from, I guess, like a lifetime of playing hockey where you're bent over, basically placing a lot of strain on those discs paired with probably, I think now knowing what I know, probably some overtraining when I was in university. But for whatever reason, I had a little bit of a herniation, so I had a choice I looked into getting surgeries. It was sort of on, it was sort of borderline being serious enough for surgery. So I kind of had to make a decision whether or not to go forward with the surgery or just kind of go the rehabilitation route. So, of course, at that time, I was sort of, again, like you said, you really have to sit down and look at the pros and cons. That was really hard to do because I just, I just wanted to play. I just wanted to get better. I was so sick of the injury. And I thought that, I really saw the surgery as a, it was an easy way out really is what it was. It was a, it was a quick fix that I thought would help me get back on the ice, but this is really when I started, what I did was I started learning as much as I could about my injury. This was actually why I first got into neuroscience and all of this in the first place was because I started, I started crushing just all these books, all these podcasts about basically neuroanatomy, the spinal cord, how these injuries happen. more i learned the more i realized that surgery was absolutely not the way to go like one of the most common surgeries is called a spinal fusion they literally take your disc out and just fuse your vertebrae together which is like insane because these surgeries happen every single day and they happen in people who have no idea that if they just target their hips and their core their chronic back pain would be gone Mm. right but Again, not everyone realizes this. They maybe go to a surgeon, a medical doctor, and they say, yeah, we can fix your pain. We'll take your disc out and then fuse your vertebrae together. He might lose an inch or two, but (laughs) your pain will be on for now. Yeah, for now. So I guess if we just look at back injuries in general, I think, and now, again, there's exceptions. My mom had back surgery and she's been great ever since, but there's probably some injuries where you need to I would say where you need to spend some extra time on and actually learning a little bit about it and considering, mm-hmm. like you said, the pros and cons, because mm-hmm. something like, like this is your spinal cord. We're talking about here. You right. don't want to just sign up for a surgery without putting any consideration into it. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. There's somewhere you're going to have a choice for sure. There's some where you're not going to have a choice. Um, like for example, being ligament. Related, my injury is something where I could choose to get surgery or not. Yes. Because does it affect the structural integrity of my joint? Yes. hundred percent. Do I notice that and feel that? Yes. One hundred percent. I mean, there's nothing really holding the medial side of my elbow together. So <laughs> other than muscles and tendons, because my ligaments are gone. So, yeah, I noticed that it feels a little bit weird. Now, if that was a tendon that had ruptured and pulled off, I have to get surgery. Yeah. Right. You can't just sometimes ignore that. Right. You, you, you pop a bicep. You're going to walk around with your bicep all balled up at the top of your shoulder. No, you're not going to, that's going to cause some serious problems. So you have to get surgery there. You get a fracture or a break in your arm, something that requires surgery. You don't have a choice there. Some injuries, you do have a choice you had a choice in yours. I have a choice in mine. And that comes down to your personal decision and what you think is going to be the best for you at that point in time. Will I never get surgery on my elbow? I'm not sure at this point I'm not looking at doing it because it doesn't align with everything that I want to do in my day and what I want what my priorities are right now in terms of uh, coaching and competing and things like that just it, it doesn't make sense yeah. for me to do it right now when it's not really holding me back from accomplishing anything that I want to yeah. so you always have the choice but what you have to do is you have you have to go to the right people and get the right advice from people that specialize in these, in that specific thing. Like you did your research and more than one person. Yes. That's important. Multiple um, opinions on things like, like Chet didn't just make a decision. uh, I'm not going to have it done. He did it due diligence. He did his research and then he came to the decision that was the best for him. And that's pretty much the best advice that we can give related to this. Because, The surgeries that they're able to do today are completely life-changing and incredible yeah, they do in, in more cases than anything that, I mean, I hear about things that they can do and it's like, it, it's incredible. It's awesome.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so if that sh- fits you and what you want to get done, then whatever. Now in terms of injury rehab and things like that, because inevitably maybe probably you're going to find yourself hurt at some point in your life um whether it be a sport injury or something of that yes. nature um so let's we can kind of talk about how to approach that i guess i'll I'll kick it off personal experience thing, again it's relatively new um again uh just the direction of do your due diligence and Come up with the right decision for you sometimes the advice that you're going to be getting is the advice that is the safest advice for that medical professional to give to you to ha- keep them with a clear conscience and be sure that they're leaving you uh, or you're leaving their office or their practice with advice that's not going to cause any more damage in some cases so for me that advice for my elbow was don't lift more than five pounds. And that's a direct quote. Don't lift more than five pounds. And uh, I mean immediately immediately I dismiss that advice because that doesn't make any sense to me. Don't lift five pounds. How? Question one. Yeah. Don't lift five pounds with my whole bot. I mean, I'm being a dick. I know they no, met, I know they bent with my elbow. That's
0: true. That cast iron skillet over there on the stove that I cook my eggs in every day is probably like <laughs> twenty, twenty five pounds.
1: Yeah. So the advice don't lift more than five pounds, there's no, um, and that's safe. I get, I get why that was the advice. It's not a malpractice on the, on the surgeon's part. It's, it's a very safe approach for them to take because he's not going to see me time and time again and, and see me through my rehab. So I get why he said that. And if it was my mom or my grandma going in to see him and he gave them that, gave them that advice that would keep them safe, right? It's not it's not the best advice, but it's not bad advice by any means. It's not terrible, but I did dismiss that because it didn't make sense for me. Um, I mean, it's all relative to the person. I felt like that was a very general thing to say, and it, it it wasn't helpful to me in any way. So I decided to go a different route and talk to, um, some people that I really trust in the industry of, uh, physical therapy, uh, chiropractors, coaches did some research, et cetera, et cetera, basically came to the conclusion that lifting in a pain-free range of motion isn't going to cause any more damage. It's already ruptured. It's not going to cause a problem. So I might as well work through a pain-free range of motion as fast as possible, as quickly as possible and just get that joint moving. So for me, since it was an elbow injury, I just went some flexion extension and some grip work. So like bicep curls, tricep extensions, and uh, you know, the clips for your plate for the barbells. I was just squeezing that thing to get, but that was enough to like get the blood flow going. Now, did I use a five pound dumbbell to start? Yeah, I did. And then it slowly started being able to increase from that. Um, But if The problem that I have with that advice is if I had taken that advice to heart, I could still to this day only be lifting five pounds because there's no follow up on that.
0: So what's concerning
1: to me is if somebody gets that advice and then completely becomes um, absorbed in their injury and they use that as a crutch for everything in the rest of their life, basically like, oh, I can't do that because it's more than five pounds or, oh, I have an elbow injury and that it becomes like a part of their identity and how they describe themselves to other people. And that can be very dangerous mentally more than physically. Yeah. So the advice from a physical standpoint was, was very sound and like, I get it. I understand where he was coming from the, again, there's like no. Malice in that it was the best advice that that person could give me knowing that he's probably never going to see me again. Cause it was, I was very clear in my decision at by that point that I wasn't going to get the surgery. Um, but from a mental standpoint, if you say that to the wrong person, that could have big effects on the rest of their life. So you have to be a little bit more careful than that, I guess is my main yeah. concern. Yeah, know. no, that's a, that's a very good point. I think that you
0: raised at the end. Yeah, if you say that to the wrong person, then that could set them on the wrong path for a very long time. Yeah. Someone who doesn't have, like you obviously have a ton of knowledge in health and fitness, moving the body safely, working on specific muscle groups specific areas of the body but someone who went in there with the same injury who had even like a tenth of that knowledge and experience i don't
1: know what they would do if they heard that yeah yeah it's tough and i always refer out like if somebody comes to me with an injury i refer out immediately to somebody that i don't know is more than me oh yeah for sure 100 percent of the time somebody like dr cj de palma from yeah. Florida, I talked about in a podcast before. I trust the guy more than anybody else with injury stuff. He's the movement doctor is what he calls himself. Yeah. Um because he believes in kind of the the just a the theory that we keep coming back to where movement's gonna be the answer and moving pain free is going to be the answer. That's kind of the basis of his whole practice. Um he doesn't see multiple patients at the same time, which I think makes a big difference too.
0: Mm, that's it's interesting. One on
1: one um hourly sort of system okay. that he has. So just knowing that about him was something that I trust. I we could throw probably his link or something at the bottom. Yeah, that'd be a good one. idea. Um, but I think what we're circling back to is
0: still consult several different sources, people, people who you think are credible, people who you are told to be credible. Um, and yeah. So it that's it's definitely what it comes back to is look into these things, do your research, try and learn as much about it as you can and speak to people, ask questions, find, find trusted sources.
1: Yeah. Resting and icing. It isn't always going to be the best, Rice, (laughs) not (laughs) always the best advice. Some, some, again, in some cases it is, but not, not in every case. Uh, Is there any advice you give people like supplement wise, if they come to you and they like have some sort of acute or chronic injury that you would recommend?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's always the the three or four that come to mind right away, like the glucosamine. You've probably used glucosamine before. Yeah.
1: I definitely, yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. That's one I definitely noticed. I talked a little bit about this one on the supplement specific podcast that we posted. This one, it takes, I think it takes some time before it takes effect. Like you have to be consistent for at least a month or two, but I think this is a very good one. Just like everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Like most things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, curcumin. We talk about that one a ton. If you think it's an inflammatory based injury, which 99% of the time it is, mm-hmm. this is probably going to help, especially for, well, acute joint pain for sure. This is a great option. Uh, what else? There's a, uh, what's the other one? Cat's Claw. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another good one but i think other than that i think people just need to appreciate the influence that their overall nutrition can have on the injury right you just have to remember we talk about this all the time but you have to remember your gut basically controls everything so what you're going in there is in the end going to affect that injury because if your gut is compromised if you have any type of leaky gut from inflammatory foods processed foods going to stimulate an inflammatory reaction throughout the rest of your body if you trigger that you're not going to be repairing any type of injury whatsoever so i think that right there is probably very underappreciated um nothing is nothing is separate when it comes to our body i guess right Mm -hmm. like we are we're such complicated beasts even such something like an elbow injury we have to consider all these factors so yeah. I think it's just, that would just be kind of one, one small piece to the puzzle that you can use.
1: It always comes back to your nutrition and your movement. It re- yeah, it really does. Yeah. I feel Like every single conversation does. we have, <laughs> it just comes back to that because that's why we're doing this. I yeah. Think. Yeah. The, the two topics are very, um, complex and it's not black and white right, in, in yeah. any one person. And that's why, uh, we both try to never, um, make generalizations like you didn't say that every person needs to take those three supplements nope. and in this amount and this time of day like there was not a prescription there those are three things that could potentially help you but you know for sure that eating a, yeah a, yeah that's the common variable for mm-hmm. sure that's, that's what always uh, comes back to. always comes back to that and then there's moving your body yeah and again when it's related to injury you have to move in a pain-free range of motion there's no there's no glory in in just battling through and just beating yourself into the ground until you break into a thousand pieces. There's no glory in that. You see, we, we got to wrap this up since we got to go back to the gym, but yeah, we've got quick a minute or two. Have you seen the Ronnie Coleman pot or uh, documentary on Netflix? Oh no. I need to watch that. That would be a very perfect example of uh, yeah. there. There's, there is a thing. If you're now Ronnie Coleman's focus was winning the Olympia. And he did that eight times. Okay. He has no regrets about that. And you'll get that once you watch the documentary. But the question you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to be in the situation where he's in and I'll let people watch the documentary. I'm not going to ruin it for anyone. The question that I walked away, are you, am I willing to put myself into that physical state at the age of 50, whatever years old he is, um, to win Mr. Olympia? No. And that's why he is Mr. Olympia eight times in a row is because he was willing to take himself to that point. Um,
0: i haven't seen what he looks like in previous years all you ever really see all i've ever seen is the classic we've all seen the classic videos of him on youtube right yeah From like the 80s and awesome. 90s yeah they're amazing yeah
1: yeah buddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah I'll be so awesome
0: interested to watch them
1: yeah it's good dumbbell
0: it's... pressing like 260 each hand or something yeah something
1: something <laughs> it's, crazy it's dumb stuff um, Now for him, his mental toughness was what allowed him to train through his injuries and continue to do all those things. Um, again, I'm not saying that was a bad thing that he did. I'm just, I would raise the question of if you find yourself in a situation like that, just do the the pros and cons thing. And if you make the choice to do that, then I mean, he owns it. There's no, um, and I think that's the point I'm trying to make with this is he, takes full accountability for where he's at and the approach that he took. And I think everyone needs to do that um, when it comes to their own injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just do your research, understand what may come of doing something this way or that way. And then just yeah, make your informed decision, but don't go in blind and just do whatever you want. That's yeah. That's not going to help. And I haven't seen the documentary,
0: but I imagine there's, well, I can I can assume just based on what I've already read about Ronnie is that there's there's probably a lot of reference to use of drugs, whether that be performance enhancing or for pain management. I think we can go down a we could go down a whole nother rabbit hole if we wanted to get into that. We can't now, but if Gotta we wanted go. to get into that, this the idea, especially in sports, like I know hockey's bad for this, football's bad for this, that idea of people just taking pain meds abusing pain meds i'm fine i'll toughen it up you Mm -hmm. know i'll get back out there and that's a slippery slope but like i said that's a whole nother
1: rabbit hole that we'll have to save for another day yeah totally all right well uh pretty gray pretty gray but i mean (laughs) we can't give you a definite answer on really anything injury related not knowing your personal story and what's going on with your injury again just do your research and uh, that's really what it comes down
0: to. Yeah.
1: Don't do any more damage. No. All right. Thanks for listening guys. Thanks guys. Catch you next week.